Hey, welcome to Cross Defense. It's Monday afternoon. That's what that sound means. And I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuther, joining you for the next hour to set your your theological imagination on fire with God's word. We're going to talk about, for a little bit. We're going to talk about we're going to, we're going to talk about why the martyrs were the heroes of the church. That's what I want to meditate on for the next few minutes. And then we're going to get Pastor Brian Flammy on here to talk about... I, we talked about it yesterday. I said, bring whatever you want. And I think he's interested in talking about... Well, this will be great. About Luther's introduction to the book of Galatians. Uh, I'm not sure why he's he's onto that. But that... that um, I, I wonder if there's ever... If there's anything hardly better written than Luther's introduction uh, to the epistle to the Galatians. So you'll want to stay tuned for that in about 20 minutes. But in the meantime... Oh, yeah. You can also get a hold of us, uh, but you can t- probably the best way to interact with the show is by the Twitter. I got it open here on the computer, so I'll actually s- maybe see this time if anybody sends anything at B Wolfmuller or at KFUO Radio. You can send a tweet there, or you can even call in and jump in. Uh, th- uh, if you're in St. Louis and you're driving around listening, you should have this number saved. Speed dial, put it number two next to your wife. Uh, 314. Eight two one zero five zero eight five zero. Let me do that again. Three one four eight two one zero eight five zero. Or anywhere in the world, I suppose anywhere in the universe where they have telephones. One eight hundred seven three zero two seven two seven. You can call and jump in and uh, and join the show. Uh, I heard, and I can't remember where. I've been trying to remember where I heard this. Sometime in the last month or so or two months, someone said to me, you can learn everything you need to know about a person, about their ethics, about their morality, and perhaps even about their theology, if you know who their hero is. I'm not 100% sure that that statement will hold up, but it's an amazing thing to think about. Who is your hero? Who do you look to as the person who lived a life that was good and honorable? I was asking this question to my kids the other day. Who is your hero? And, and I learned a lot even about my own children when they were telling me who their hero was. And it's a good question for us to reflect on. If you're sitting next to someone, don't talk now. We're, you're engaged fully with everything, body, mind, and soul, and listening to this show. So you don't want to interrupt with a conversation. But when we go to the break, you can turn to the person next to you and say, hey, uh, who is your hero? Who, who do you look up to the most? Who do, whose life... Is has had the greatest impact for good in the world, and that's going to be that's going to tell us a lot about a person. Now, the Bible has this in it. It it, it it's gonna it's gonna in fact give heroes to us, and I think especially about Hebrews chapter eleven. Sometimes Hebrews chapter eleven is called the Hall of Faith because it lists all these people who had faith. In the Old Testament, I mean, it, it starts with uh, it starts with uh, Adam or Abel, sorry, and it uh, talks about Abraham, talks about Noah, Enoch, uh, it talks about Moses, it talks about Moses as a baby. That's, I think that's an infant faith passage where it says Moses, when he was a baby, was put in the basket by faith. So anyway, that's maybe for another time. It talks about all the, all the Egyptians and 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 then the writer says, and what more shall I say? For it would fail, time would fail to tell of Gideon, Barak. Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. And, and, it, and it lists all these great things who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the pyre, power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war. 
put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Now, I'm going to pause there because something amazing is going to, about to happen in the text there. But it talks about all these people who, according to their vocation, did these great and mighty works in the Old Testament. But then, as, as, these, as these miracles are ramping up, it, it, it continues to ramp up, but it takes an amazing turn. I'm picking up in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 36, and it says this. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Now, dear friends, that is an amazing thing to hear of whom the world was not worthy. And whom was the world not worthy? The people that were stoned, the people that were cut in half, the people that were killed by the sword, the people who went about in sheepskins and goatskins, the people who were destitute, who were afflicted, who were mistreated, who were mocked and flogged and were thrown in jail and had to wear chains. That, those are the people who suffered all these things for the name of Jesus, of whom, the writer says, the world was not worthy. Can you, can you imagine it? That, that, that the heroes that the Bible puts before us are not just those who have, did, who have done all these great and mighty and wonderful things, but the heroes that the Bible puts before us are the people who suffered and even died for their faith. In other words, the Bible puts before us the martyrs as our champions, as our heroes, as the people that we are to look up to. Those, those who are even willing to suffer and to die because of their faith in Christ. Now, I think that this is a consistent thing to consider, that the church, in fact, has, has always considered the martyrs to be the heroes of the church. And oftentimes, we get all these writings that come to us from the ancient church that put the martyrs before us. One of my favorites is this man, Romanus. I think Romanus is becoming one of my heroes. The story of Romanus is that he was, he was a bishop. He was from Caesarea, which was on the Mediterranean coast, but he went up to Antioch for the time of persecution, and, and he was there as the Christians were being, were being brought to persecution, and he was there cheering them on. He said, don't, don't give up your faith. Confess Christ. Don't confess Caesar. And Romanus was there. And so he was giving this, he was encouraging them, literally. He was pouring courage into the Christians so that when they went to the proconsul and they said, worship Caesar, say Lord Caesar, offer this pinch of incense, they wouldn't do it. And one after another, the Christians were going forward to have their life taken away. And they would even, they would even give their necks to the, to the proconsul. I'd rather lose my head than lose my faith, they would say. And the proconsul, normally when this would happen, normally when the, when the persecution was coming, the people would, would renounce their faith a lot easier. And so the proconsul says, what's going on here? How come all these people are coming and confessing their faith? And they said, it's Romanus's fault. So they bring Romanus over there, and he starts preaching to the proconsul. He, he gets, the proconsul is so enraged, he says, 
He says, split them open and, and tear out his insides. Now, this might get a little bit graphic. I'll try to be uh, a, a little contained. But, but the story is, is really quite incredible because the soldier says, hey, he's a Roman citizen. You can't do that. So he said, we'll beat him. And so they start whipping him, and he's confessing and preaching the faith. And the proconsul gets so mad that he says, he says, knock out his teeth. So the soldiers come and knock out his teeth, and he still keeps preaching. And so he says, they tear out his beard, and they, and they even come along. Now, and here's where it's the, perhaps the most brutal but the most wonderful is the proconsul says says shut him up stop him preaching and so he so they cut his cheeks with the sword and they tear out his beard and they flail aside and and Romanus says think about this Romanus says to the proconsul I thank you sir that you have given me more mouths with which to praise my god <laughs> can you now, can you imagine Romanus? He's our brother. He, this, is our, this is our hero. The, the one who would suffer all rather than forsake Christ. The one who with great boldness would stand up at the risk of his life and everything else to take up the name of Jesus. In fact, it says at some point while he was there preaching that the proconsul started to mock him. This was always part of the martyrdom is the mockery of the Christians. And he started to mock him and say, hey, why are you worshiping Jesus who just came? You should worship the Roman gods that have been out or around forever. You, you have a new faith, not an old faith. And Romanus, it says in the, in the martyrdom accounts that he took that occasion to preach the eternality of Christ. <laughs> Can you imagine? So here he is, is you know, half dead, all cut up. And he's preaching about how Jesus Christ is born of the Virgin, but he's uh, uh, begotten of the Father before all worlds, the two natures of Christ. Well, the proconsul tried to set Romanus on fire, but he, it said the storms came and blew the fire out, so they threw him in prison, and he died in prison a couple of days later from all of his injuries. Now, this is your brother. This is my brother. This is our hero, Romanus, who suffered all rather than, than fall away. The other day, it was pretty hot in the sanctuary. We have a big fan that kind of cools things off. We don't have an air conditioner here at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. And, but, you know, by the end of the service, we were all sweating and somewhat miserable. And I told the story of Romanus, and I said, hey, if he could endure that, we can probably endure a little time without air conditioning. I think, I think that's how these hero stories work. When we see those that have gone before us, we say, if they can endure that, then certainly we can endure a little suffering as well. Now, we know the early church loved to talk about the martyrs, but just recently, I found some, inc- and, and more will come on this later, so stay tuned, but I found some incredible stuff. I did a search for martyrs in the writings of Martin Luther, and I, was, I, I think that Luther mentions the martyrs probably no fewer than five or ten times in every single one of his volumes. And especially, it's almost, it's dozens of times when he's talking about the Psalms. Luther even wrote a little a little essay called The Burning of Brother Henry. And it includes an explanation of Psalm 9, but, he, but Luther recounts uh, this uh, martyrdom of Brother Henry, one of the, one of the uh, Protestant martyrs uh, that happened in the 16th century. And here's a, here's a quote from Luther about this, about martyrdom. He says, To die for God's word and faith is a priceless precious and noble death fit only for the spirit and children of god such a death means to die for the unrighteous and even for those who put us to death and to intercede for them while dying 
That's what Christ did according to the word of Isaiah 53, verse 12, and made intercession for the transgressors. Hmm. This is why we read of no instance where a Christian died for the doctrine of free will or the doctrine of works or for anything but the word of God and the word of God alone. So this is a, a precious and noble thing to die for the faith. Now, uh, as we talk about martyrs around here, people at Hope Lutheran Church, people say, now, hey, Pastor, okay, it's fine for you to talk about the martyrs. It kind of grosses us out, and I guess it inspires us at the same time, but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of Christians who are, who are giving up their life that are spilling their blood uh, for the faith. Even Hebrews says that. As, Hebrew, as Hebrews puts before the, the people who are reading it, it, it uh, all of these who have died for the faith, that were caught in half and dragged all over the world and all this other sort of stuff that happens, it says, you have not yet resisted to the point of blood. And that's true for us in the United States. Most of us have not resisted the world and the death and the devil to the point of bleeding and to the point of blood. But still, it is helpful for us to consider these that have, that have died and gone before us. But in some ways, it's helpful for us to consider this, that if we are willing to lose everything, even our lives, even our skin, even our head, even our everything else, that we're also then willing to lose some of the other nice things in this life. We want to have a martyr's faith in this messed up world, even if the Lord does not call us to this gift of martyrdom. And to think about that, I want to meditate on, on this as we end the segment. I want, I want you to imagine, and we might have done this before, but I, and I should assume that everybody who listens listens all the time to everything that we say, so, but maybe it won't hurt to repeat ourselves. I want you to imagine that you are the enemy of St. Paul. Okay, so I mean, for, for whatever reason, you're alive during the time of Acts, and you just hate Paul. Maybe it's because you're a Pharisee. Maybe it's because you're a Roman official. Maybe it's because you're an uh, a idol maker, and he's wrecking your silver business in, in Ephesus. Whatever. For whatever reason, you're an enemy of St. Paul. And you gather around a bunch of other enemies of St. Paul, and you say, okay, we have an enemy, Paul, and we want to really get after him. We want to, we want to, we want to make him miserable. We, we want to just abuse him so that he, he curses and he blasphemes or whatever. So, so let's go and let's torture him. Let's cause him to suffer. And you'd go and you'd throw Paul in prison and you'd cause him to suffer. And you know what happens? He, he, you, you read him, he, he writes a letter to the Romans and he says, he says, count it joy when you suffer various afflictions. Knowing that suffering produces patience and patience produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured his spirit into our heart. Romans 5. I said, oh man, all right, well, back to the drawing board. What are we going to do to this guy? What are we gonna, how are we going to get after St. Paul? What are we going to do next? And what you say, well, what, let's kill him. Let's just end his life right now. And then you pick up his letter that he wrote to the church in Philippi, and, and you see he says, for me to, to die is gain. Shoot, what are we going to do now? So we can't torture him. He'll rejoice in God. Can't kill him. It makes things better for him. What are you going to do? Just let him live? Leave him alone? And he says in the same letter, for me to live is Christ. Can you, can you imagine how frustrating it would be to be the enemy of St. Paul? I mean, what in the world are you going to do to him? You can't kill him. You can't cause him to suffer. All of it. He rejoices. He rejoices in, in bounty. He rejoices in having nothing. He rejoices when he's walking. He rejoices when he's, when he's 
half dead, stoned to death. He rejoices when he's floating on the ocean because he's shipwrecked. Paul is rejoicing in God in all of these things. Even his death would bring him joy. What? How are you going to be his enemy? And the problem is you can't, you can't be Paul's enemy. And this, dear saints, is what it means to have this martyr's faith, that the devil cannot be your, I mean, he cannot destroy you. He cannot, he can be your enemy, but he can't get to you, because what can he do? What can the devil do to you? Take your life? For the preaching of the word, God be praised. Let you live, God be praised. Cause, cause hardship and suffering, God, God be praised. God be praised through, you see, God be praised through all of it. Because we belong to Christ. The noble army of martyrs stands around the throne, and one day, one day, by God's grace, you and I will be part of that army. We'll be part of that worship. We'll stand around the throne, and we'll praise him as well. Do you see? So let us consider this great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us, that are there around the throne cheering us on, those that have lost their lives for preaching the gospel, those that have suffered everything, even death, for knowing Christ and for the sake of knowing him. And let us consider them and, and be strong, be encouraged for the life that the Lord has put in front of us. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. You're listening to Cross Defense here on KFUO. We're going to go to the break and see if we can get a hold of Pastor Brian Flammy. See what he has to say about Luther and Galatians and the strength and encouragement that that gives to us. Stay tuned. Talk to you soon. Because of the Reformation, there are a number of phrases that have the word alone in it. We are saved by Christ alone, through faith alone, and by grace alone which is the subject of our next Law and Gospel with Pastor Mark Smith. Listen to Law and Gospel weekday mornings beginning at 9.30 on KFUO. This is the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. My name is Jim. I'm a veteran. I lost both legs in Vietnam. My victory was proving that a disability is not a limitation. I'm Julius. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. The story of Worldwide KFUO is a tale of technology. Radio was new in 1924 when KFUO was born to serve Christ the Savior. Now, KFUO is still finding new broadcast technologies so we can spread the gospel to the world via the web, smartphones, tablets, and new intelligent speaker devices. And when the next big thing is unveiled, we'll be there too. Broadcasting the good news at the forefront of technology. We are Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back to Cross Defense. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller here. 
pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, co-host of Table Talk Radio, and a number of other things. In fact, we've been publishing a lot of books lately um, over at uh, Worldwide Wolf Mueller. That's, that's the website, Wolf Mueller, W-O-L-F-M-U-E-L-L-E-R dot C-O, and they're almost all free. You can go and download them uh, if that's the thing that interests you. you gotta, we we want to move always from, uh, from listening to theology to reading it ourselves and engaging it, building a theological library. That's where things start to stick, especially for the kids. So, so go check it out. There's a bunch of books available uh, for you there. I have, uh, jumping in for the last two-thirds of the program, uh, my good friend, fellow worker uh, in the Lord's Kingdom, Pastor Brian Flamey of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, New Mexico, and about 17 other congregations in in New Mexico that he's serving as vacancy pastor for. Pastor Flamey, how are you? I'm doing very well. How are you? How many congregations are you helping out now? Well, just two more, one in Lovington and one in Hobbs, New Mexico. Uh, but both of them are about two hours away from Roswell, so it makes for a lot of driving. <laughs> I know that you've been listening to the Cross Defense podcast as you drive around making all those visits, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, uh, <laughs> I like that. I'm going to say no by saying yes. That's really fantastic. Uh, let's see, Pastor Flamey. I, we talked yesterday about you had on your mind uh, Luther and Galatians. Is that still what you're thinking about today? Yeah, that's still what I'm thinking about. It actually was tying in with uh, what we were also talking about yesterday, that uh, there are two kinds of worship and how this is an important uh, topic uh, in the writings of Luther and Melanchthon. Uh, but one thing I want to ask you is, isn't this supposed to be a program about apologetics? Yeah, I'm, I'll be apologizing for having you as a guest all day today. Uh, <laughs> it's well, it's shifted a little I, bit from apologetics to more like a theological curiosity. I, you know, oh, but you know, this is interesting because you and I, Pastor Flammy, by the way, used to be uh, pastor here at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, with me, which was nice because I hardly had to do anything. Uh, but then he um, he has his own uh, congregation now where he's serving, and uh, and uh, and so now I've got to work again. But we would sit around and talk about theology all the time, and one of the things that we talked about was how apologetics properly understood is a defense of the conscience. And um, and we want to have – so one of the things that apologetics – one of the, the goals of apologetics, which is really the goal of preaching, the goal of teaching the Bible, the goal of pastoral care, it's all the same, is to have a, a robust, um, healthy, theologically grounded conscience – so that the sickness of false doctrine can't easily can't so easily get in there, uh, and we talked about the walls around the conscience and all this sort of stuff. So I suppose everything that the church does is, can be understood apologetically in the sense that it's strengthening the conscience, strengthening the Christian imagination, and strengthening our Christian confession. Do you remember those conversations? Yeah, that, no, no, I totally remember those conversations. And I was going to say that what Luther is doing at the beginning here of his. Uh, 1535 lectures on Galatians, what's called the argument of St. Paul's epistle to the Galatians, is that he's setting the battlefield for the apologetics. Normally, when we think about apologetics in this world, we think of sort of a debate in the public square. You got Ken Ham, uh, you know, teeing off against Bill Nye or something like that, and they put it on YouTube. Uh, but for Luther, uh, he, <laughs> in fact, it's more specific than just speaking about the conscience in general. Uh, for Luther, it is the conscience at the moment of death. Uh, that is where the defense needs to be made. And he says, unless 
the defense is a certain kind of defense, then it will result in uh, condemnation and death. But if it is a good defense, uh, which I, I guess we'll be getting into, namely the, the passive righteousness of Christ, which only could be received by faith, uh, then it is the best defense, the unassailable defense. And in fact, he puts these apologetic words into the mouth of the Christian in here, uh, uh, which comes at the very end of this section, where he says, now, at the moment of death, this is the thing that your conscience needs to be saying within itself. <laughs> so it's quite, it's, it's quite good. So, yeah, uh, Luther is uh, defining this sort of b- battleground of where this uh, apologetic battle is going to take place, and it's not in the public sphere where we normally think of it, it's actually in the in the heart, in the conscience at the moment of death. That's fa- that's fascinating. I, I don't. I think that's the point is clear, but I kind of want to sit on it. I don't even. But I I don't want to. I just wanted to kind of soak in a little bit. So let's just make sure I'm I'm getting what you're saying is right. So that what so Luther is saying. Hey, we want to make the. We 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 want to read Galatians for the singular purpose of of being equipped for the argument. That uh, that happens when we're dying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the Galatians exactly right. and, and the whole and the whole of scriptures, I suppose, it can be th- that that now we want to be ready when the hour of death comes, because then, well, because what hap- what So what happens at the hour of death that we need to be so ready for it? Can I least, can I read to you from this uh, 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 from Luther? This is what uh, he says. As long as it's not uh, boring. <laughs> Luther's never boring. All right, all right, I believe you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but such is human weakness and misery, that in the terrors of conscience and in the danger of death, we look at nothing except our own works, our worthiness, and the law. When the law shows us our sin, our past life immediately comes to our mind. Then the sinner, in his great anguish of mind, groans and says to himself, Oh, how damnably I have lived. If only I could live longer, then I would amend my life. Thus, human reason cannot refrain from looking at active righteousness. That is, its own righteousness. Nor can it shift its gaze to passive, that is, Christian righteousness. But it simply rests in the active righteousness. So deeply is this evil rooted in us. He calls this evil, this, our, the, the default argument of the Christian in, in the conscience at the moment of death. And so completely have we acquired this unhappy habit, taking advantage of the weakness of our nature, Satan increases and aggravates these thoughts in us. Then it is impossible for the conscience to avoid being more seriously troubled, uh, confounded, and frightened. And he goes on to talk about how uh, that the human mind, even if it knows intellectually about the passive righteousness uh, of Christ, uh, which I suppose we should put some definitions to terms, which we'll do in a second, but let me get this out first, that even if the Christian intellectually knows about the passive righteousness of Christ, so deeply rooted in the flesh is the desire to justify itself, to make itself righteous by its own works and its own actions. And Satan is so set against us also in the moment of death that if it depended upon our strength alone to even concentrate and to believe in the righteousness of Christ, the passive righteousness, it cannot be done. It has to be a divine work. It has to be something that comes, as Luther uh, says, from the Holy Spirit. Mm. Hmm. Okay, so so let's. Uh, that is fast. I don't know how. I mean, I wonder how many times I've read that and just and just missed it. 
Uh, so okay, so like you said, we need to define some terms. So so the, let's so we have active righteousness and passive righteousness. So th- those are going to be the two um, main things to define. Let's, in fact, let's define them together so that we can put the contrast out there. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, <laughs> uh, are you a law and gospel guy or a two kinds of righteousness guy? Let me ask you that first. Me, I'm yeah. a Lutheran. Yeah, you're supposed to say, I don't know what you're talking about. Both. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor Flammy. (laughs) What's the difference? It seems like the same thing to me from what you read from Luther. Right, so this is it. For Luther, he speaks uh, speaks both about the law, using that term, and the gospel, using that term in this argument. Uh, He also speaks about passive and active righteousness, and they are the results of either law or gospel preaching. So, the preaching of the law, it prods a person, and especially the flesh, to do works of active righteousness, to do, to be active in love towards God and the neighbor, okay? So that's active righteousness. It depends upon the person receiving the, per- the preaching of the law, actually applying their hands to the doing of the law, or their minds to the thinking of the law, right? Or their hearts to the desires of the law. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay, good. Now, uh, when you have the gospel being preached, namely that Christ alone is the mediator and propitiator, that Christ alone is the one who makes us acceptable and loved and precious in the sight of God, then that can only be received passively. And the way this is passively received is by faith, by trusting in the preaching, right? And that is what Luther calls the passive righteousness. He uses the word passive there to indicate faith. That when the preaching comes to you that Jesus has died for your sin, and for the sake of Jesus' death alone, God loves you. And, you, and, and, and in hearing this, you believe it. That is passive righteousness, righteousness, because it depends not upon your doing, your action to keep a law, but merely in hearing and receiving the preaching of God's mercy in Christ. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So there you go. Uh, so, there is, so this is why uh, Luther could speak about two kinds of righteousness, the righteousness uh, that comes by the law and the righteousness that comes by the gospel. These are two different paradigms with which we should interpret Luther. In fact, you have to understand both sets of terms, because the, uh, because the law results in its own kind of righteousness, just as the gospel results in its own kind of righteousness, which is Christ. And now the point is that Luther's saying that the law, which results in active righteousness, in the um, we cannot, by in that way, escape God's judgment. So, if we, if the only thing we have is something of an active righteousness, we we'll stand conv- condemned because that active righteousness uh, doesn't um, avail before the Father. It doesn't. It doesn't pass through the judgment. It doesn't. It doesn't uh, reach the required holiness that God has. And so, if we depend on the active righteousness to stand before God, we are going to fail and fail utterly. Yeah, that's right. In fact, Luther draws upon the imagery of uh, (laughs) baked, dead, and dry earth, right? He says that this is your act of righteousness before the sight of God. It's desolate. It's waste. (laughs) It's just nothing. It's dead, right? And so he says, what happens, though, is upon this person who in their act of righteousness in God's sight is dead, then passes along a shower, you know, that you could see the clouds billowing, billowing up over the horizon. You could do this all the time in New Mexico. You look off on the horizon, you see the storm coming for hours away. 
And then I, I like it by the, these storms that happen in New Mexico where you can see it and you see the rain falling and it doesn't even get to the ground. It like yeah. it evaporates before it hits the ground and you got to just think how bad it would be to be under that storm. Anyway, it, it's humid is what it is. Uh, the only time it gets humid in New Mexico is when it rains and it doesn't hit the ground. And then you're sweating. Yeah, so anyways, so the rain falls. It doesn't evaporate before it hits the ground. It actually hits the ground. When it hits the ground, then it brings forth life, right? Not because there was something intrinsic to the ground, right, that, that, uh, that made it worthy or made it lovable in the sight of God, but rather God, sending his own merciful rain shower, pours out the gospel upon the dead earth and brings forth life. And that is the passive righteousness of faith, trusting in the preaching of uh, the preaching concerning Christ. You know uh, what He has done to save you from your sins. That's a beautiful and that is picture. What makes you acceptable in God? Okay, so uh, so the own showers of righteousness pouring down upon you to get it. So the so that our righteousness ends up just simply in death, but now it comes from outside of us. The is this this is also where Luther will use the language of of an alien righteousness, right? Uh, uh, yes, later on, uh, but here, at least in this argument, uh, he, he limits himself to the uh, active and the passive righteousness, or, uh, or law and gospel. You don't this, think this, about it. this righteousness that comes from outside of ourselves. So, so here's the point, right? So that when I'm, when I'm dying there, I'm, uh, my, my conscience is as activated as it will ever be. Because the conscience is a courtroom, and it's a reflection of the heavenly courtroom, and I know that I'm about to stand in the heavenly court. To, to, it's appointed for man to die once and then to be judged, and Luther knows that, and we know that intrinsically, that, we, so that when we die, we go and we stand to be judged. And so now that, that courtroom flares up, and, and we almost can't help ourselves but to argue in the court of the conscience, right. to argue the to case for our active righteousness. Right, that's right. And left to ourselves, the argument has to be just that act of righteousness. What kind of life have I lived? Am I despairing because I, I'm disappointed with you know, my lack of love and my sin? Or am I prideful because I actually trust that my accomplishments are going to be recognized and, you know, before the throne of God? All of that, Luther says, uh, as you are saying, I mean, that, that is a false, uh, misleading dream, right? Just as the, <laughs> the hymn says. It, uh, yeah, that's right. Now, um, Luther says that this is also uh, uh, this is also the center and the heart of Lutheran theology. Exactly what we have been speaking about. Uh, this is a very famous quote. Do you mind if I read it? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, he says, "This is our theology, by which we teach a precise distinction between these two kinds of righteousnesses, uh, the active and the passive, so that morality and faith." Works and grace, secular society and religion may not be confused. Both are necessary, but both must be kept within their limits. Christian righteousness applies to the new man, and the righteousness of the law applies to the old man, who is born of flesh and blood. Uh, so Luther says that not only uh, uh, is the passive righteousness necessary, he says it is that we have to be able to distinguish it clearly between the active righteousness of the law. Uh, that uh, uh, to confuse these two things is to lose the heart and the, and, and the center of Christian theology, uh, which he articulates later on as being the doctrine of justification. This is exactly what we've been talking about. If we confuse the doctrine of justification, uh, that we are saved 
by Christ alone, right? And we receive this preaching of his word and faith and trust in it. And, and so we are saved only by the passive righteousness. And if this is confused with the active righteousness of the law, then it's all lost. Uh, then there is no passive righteousness. Instead, at the moment of death, right, in this uh, moment, in, in this uh, in, in this moment of death, in the in the conscience, our works will be, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, taking the place of our, uh, uh, of Christ, and we'll be grabbing onto them for comfort. The Epistle of Galatians, getting us ready to die. This is just absolutely fantastic. Pastor Flammy is pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, New Mexico, and seventeen or eighteen other churches. In uh, down there in New Mexico, uh, I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, they're pastor of Hope Lutheran Church up here in Aurora, Colorado, where it rains a little bit more frequently, but not as dramatically. And you're listening to Cross Defense. We're going to take a break, like for 30 seconds or something. This break is tiny. You're going to think that they even take a break when the thing is over. So, so uh, stick with us, and we'll be right back. We're going to talk some more about this. How how Luther's uh, understands Galatians as setting things in order in the courtroom of the conscience, so that so that things can be can shake out well for us when we enter into the courtroom of God upon our death. That's absolutely fascinating. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Because of the Reformation, there are a number of phrases that have the word alone in it. We are saved by Christ alone, through faith alone, and by grace alone, which is the subject of our next Law and Gospel with Pastor Mark Smith. Listen to Law and Gospel weekday mornings beginning at 9.30 on KFUO. What is it that you want to share with us? Call the KFUO comment line at 314-996-1542. Tell us what we're doing right, wrong, or just leave a message with your thoughts on why KFUO is important to you. What would you like to hear on KFUO to make your listening experience better? You can call us anytime at 314-996-1542. Thank you for listening and sharing your thoughts with KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. The Welsh Bible of 1588, translated by Anglican Bishop William Morgan, touched the lives of thousands of Welsh countrymen. A Bible whose likelihood seemed impossible. In 1549, Edward VI required all public worship to be conducted in English. Fourteen years later, Elizabeth I passed an act which required a Welsh translation of the Bible to be completed in only four short years. William Morgan's scholarship and zeal for a Bible all Welshmen could read resulted in the Welsh Bible of 1588, a translation in use until the end of the 20th century. A volume of such literary and linguistic significance, it became the foundation for which modern Welsh literature was based. Engage with the Bible in its significant impact through the ages. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Welcome back to Cross Defense. Glad you're with us. This is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, your host and uh, pastor at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Uh, And I have with me uh, on the show today Pastor Brian Flammy, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, New Mexico. 
Um, Pastor Flammy has brought to our attention. I, I'm still kind of. I I don't know. There's. I wish there was a way to s- just sort of marinate in this, Pastor Flammy. Maybe you could just d- give us some more. But this idea that that uh, that Luther understands Galatians as preparing us for the moment of death, for the throes of death, and for the argument that's made at the time of death. And so that so that rather than and, and saying that we're tempted we're tempted at the time of death, and if left to ourselves, it's all we can do. We're tempted to 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 uh, lean on our own act of righteousness, and and then either and the result is either that we're proud because we think we've done enough and therefore we're doomed, or we're despairing because we know that we haven't done enough and then we're doomed either way. And that and that only the Holy Spirit can bring the right argument, which is the argument of the passive righteousness of Christ. Like the rain that comes and 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 falls in the desert and brings to us not a righteousness of ourselves but the righteousness of Christ. It reminds me of the text in in Second Corinthians five, where Paul writes, "He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that uh, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So that Jesus has borne our sins, so that He can." So that he can account to us his own righteousness and perfection. Uh, th- this is the idea, and that that is key for dying. Am I am I with you so far? No, that's right. Absolutely. Well, so let us soak in it. Give us some more Luther here. Okay. So Luther, like I'm saying, is 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 uh, uh, trying to get at the heart and the soul of Christian theology, which is justification by God's grace through faith. And so when we're talking about these two kinds of righteousnesses, what we're really speaking about are two kinds of, uh, or two ways to justify ourselves before God, right? To pre- two ways in which we make that, ar- in which the argument is made before the throne of God as to whether or not we will receive either blessing eternally or eternal death. Uh, and so he says, concerning the passive righteousness again, without any merit or work of our own, we must first be justified by Christian righteousness, which has nothing to do with the righteousness of the law or with earthly and active righteousness. But this righteousness is heavenly and passive. We do not have it of ourselves. We receive it from heaven. We do not perform it. We accept it by faith, through which uh, we ascend beyond all laws and works. Now, Luther... <laughs> Uh, when he speaks about this passive righteousness, uh, he sounds as if uh, uh, he, uh, he sounds almost uh, scary in the way in which he's saying, look, uh, whatever law that you think is good and right and just and pure, forget it. Forget about those works. Forget about the law. None of this matters. When it comes to the passive righteousness, the only thing that matters is what Jesus has done. What Jesus is preached to do, right, uh, to, to save you from your sins because he has suffered and died upon the cross, and especially now that he has ascended to the right hand of the Father to be your advocate. And so he says that wherever, whenever works or law try to work their way into, uh, into uh, this kind of preaching, uh, that, that Jesus has done all to save us before the throne of God, then that passive righteousness is destroyed and distorted into becoming just another act of righteousness. Luther knows, by the way, that when the Lutherans preach in this way, concerning the absolute necessity of having the passive righteousness to enter into heaven, as opposed to an act of righteousness of works, that it drives people nuts. They feel like the Lutherans are destroying the world. 
because they're, 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 we're, it's as if we're destroying the very foundation of morals and ethics in this world. And now that the crazy Lutherans are saying that you don't need works or to be good in order to get into heaven, it's as if that they're trying to reign anarchy in this world, right? Right. Because, of course, Luther says this is always said against us. That we're trying to, that we're prohibiting good works, that we're prohibiting uh, uh, the, you know, the love being shown between Christians in this world. He says that is nonsense. The problem, he says, the problem is that the the the, the papists, <laughs> because they don't know the gospel, because they don't know of the passive righteousness of faith, they can only receive it as an enemy, as something to be fought against. They cannot understand it. It's as if they are, their minds are, are darkened to it, right? So they hear the Lutherans speaking of it, but all they see is danger, right? The danger of eroding good morals in society or something like that. Uh, all they see is the danger of making people complacent and thinking that uh, they don't have to work hard in order to be good, you know? They don't actually hear the sweet and the pure preaching that Jesus alone is the, is the, that Jesus alone is the reason why people have this peace and comfort and joy of standing before the throne of God on the day of judgment. Right. Now, this is, so, and Luther's going to push this and say this is exactly what St. Paul is doing in, in the letter to the Galatians, why, and it's why St. Paul has to rage like he does. I mean, St. Paul comes... Uh, he comes out of the box furious at the Galatians because they have let this active righteousness creep back in. They were saved by passive righteousness, but now they're going to be made perfect by active righteousness. They were rescued yeah, from sin, death, right. and the devil by, by, by baptism, by, by trusting in Christ, but now they're going to go backwards and they're going to trust themselves to, to stay in or, or whatever. And, and, and they missed the point too, right? So, the, so it's not like Luther's simply making this up. He's getting this from from St. Paul. That's right. And he says the argument of Galatians is this. Paul wants to establish the doctrine of faith, grace, the forgiveness of sins, or Christian righteousness, so that we may have a perfect knowledge and know the difference between Christian righteousness and all other kinds of righteousness, thus far Luther. So that's, in Luther's own words, where he has gotten, you know, this, uh, uh, this distinction from. It's from Paul himself. Like you were saying, uh, the, what had crept back in is the act of righteousness, right? Uh, uh, that had to be appended to faith in order to be perfect or, or seen as pure in God's sight. And, and it wasn't just any sort of innocuous kind of uh, act of righteousness. They, they, they were told, you have to, like, cut off your foreskins. You have to be circumcised in order to be acceptable uh, in God's sight, Right. Oh, my goodness. And so Paul loses his mind, and he sees what is, what is at stake. What's at stake is eternal life, nothing less. Uh, eternal life. Hmm. Mm. Because this, this is the thing that matters. When it comes to the day of judgment and the Lord stands us up there in front of him, we'll have to make a case. And if we, if we stand in that courtroom and claim our own innocence and start to present the evidence of our of our own righteousness we're doomed but but now so i preached a little bit about this yesterday pastor Fleming. you got to tell me how this shakes out with what you're saying i i tried to make this case that most people and i'm going to i mean myself included that most of us most of the time live our lives in order to make the case of our own righteousness what we do what we say how we act uh, what we wear, what we buy, all of this in, in one way or another is an act of of uh, establishing 
our own righteousness, establishing the case for our own worthiness or something like that. And and in fact, it was it was from the text yesterday where Jesus has the parable of the Good Samaritan. And as he's introducing the the thing that comes right before it is this is this lawyer who comes and says to him, remember, he says, uh, uh, who is my neighbor? Because he wanted to justify himself. So this guy was trying to make the case for his own to for his what for his own act of righteousness is that the language that Luther would use to describe it? You know, I you're a good you're a good person, Brian Wolfmuller. Wow, <laughs> you are. Uh, so you actually think concerning uh, you actually think about love often, uh, love being shown forth towards your neighbor. Now, as as I was reading the words of Luther. I think the, 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 the clencher there, or the thing that really got me, was that he was saying that this isn't necessarily the argument that's going on in our heads at any given point in life. It's the argument that must happen at the moment of death. And in our society, we're so removed from the terrors of death, in, in more ways than one, right, uh, that uh, people live, in some ways, passive lives. <laughs> Where it's, it's, it's not, how shall I love my neighbor? But why isn't my neighbor loving me enough? Or why isn't the government doing enough to take care of me? You know? And so it's almost as if we, there's this uh, uh, inverted passive righteousness that depends never on Christ, but always upon uh, the temporal and the earthly things, right? And so it's like an active righteousness in disguise. Uh, that uh, it, it depends upon the active righteousness of others. And, the, and, for, those, and, and for those reasons, right? Uh, that person considers himself to be safe and secure and happy. Uh, now, if a person actually, un, you know, flips it over, right, and sees that, well, no, what's important isn't to receive the act of righteousness of others, but for myself to be actively righteous, to love and to do good, well, that's a step in the right direction. Uh, but at least, but but uh, uh, but still, the thing that put that that really puts the argument. Uh, 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 I don't know, that cranks it up to, to level 10 or whatever, uh, that, 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 show, that opens the door on us so you can see it with all the clarity that's necessary, is this moment of death, the realization mm. that I am going to be judged. How, I'm going to meet my maker. And this, and this awareness of judgment is just missing nowadays. And so, I mean, thanks be to God that you actually think about loving your neighbor, but I'm kind of scared. Uh, into thinking that uh, perhaps people don't actually think about it. No, 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 I think you're right. I think you're right. So that rather than worrying about judgment, um, rather than worrying about being judged, I I mean, I think there's some of that in there, but there's a word that it's been so misplaced in our conscience that we've made ourselves into the judge. So So that now I'm looking around and I'm making the judgment on how everyone else is acting towards me. So, so rather than worrying about coming into judgment, I'm busy putting everything else into judgment. Even, even God. I was got, I got yeah. duped. I think I told you about this. I got duped into one of these um, atheist radio shows the other day. I was a podcast guest. Again? He says, "Yeah, another, yeah, it always happens to me again." How did they let you back in after you failed so miserably the last time? It was a different one. It was a different group of atheists <laughs> that duped me in. And they said, "Hey, we want to do a Bible. It was a, it's called the Bible Study Podcast, or something." And they come on there, and and I, I, the guy was asking me all these questions about the Bible, and um, and he was sort of, he was starting to contradict me. And I said, "Man, he's contradicting me a lot. Is he, he must be a Baptist?" And then he was, it was even more, and I'm like, oh, "He must be a real like a raging liberal higher critic." And and then he kept so, and I said, hey, "I don't think he believes it." Well, anyway, yeah, he was an atheist, and his whole thing was to basically stand in judgment of God. Say, look, God does all these mean things. 
therefore he's not worthy of our faith or or whatever and 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 it's completely reversed rather than rather than standing to be judged by god we stand in judgment of god and that's mm-hmm. and and that's that sort of uh like you said that it's a it's a different kind of passive righteousness it's not it's a it's a passive judgment in some ways uh you're judging everything else and how it's going on around you and if it's if it fits with your standards is that what that's what you're getting at yeah, it's a very modern individualistic kind of notion, uh, and uh, but nonetheless, I mean, every person, no matter whether they desire active righteousness from others, whether or not they desire to be the judge over God or not, all men die, and in this uh, in this uh, fact that men die, uh, they uh, uh, Luther says this is the door, right? So in apologetics, they're always talking about where where is the point of contact for the conversation, right? Where is the point of contact where the, the atheist and the Christian can agree on terms so that we can build out from there? Well, Luther says, I know the point of contact. It's when you die. Nobody could escape that. I don't hmm. care who you are. Hmm. And so here, you t- look at the person who is tr- who has in, in their lives, you know, either uh, acted as a judge or, or trusted in their own act of righteousness, and you say, look, something is out of your control. Something is, is uh, hmm. taking your <laughs> life from you. <laughs> Uh, what are you going to say to this? Uh, what and and, and uh, in this moment of death, where are you going to find your comfort? Where are you going to find your hope? Especially since the Holy Scriptures say that you will be judged by God Himself for every time that you have presumed to judge God's morality <laughs> and His goodness. Realize that it's not His that matters. The clay doesn't say to the potter, uh, uh, "You know, I, I don't think you did a good enough job." No, uh, you are under the standard of the One who has made you. That's amazing. Now, Pastor Flavio, we're going to run out of, I can't believe it. We're going to run out of time quick, like here. Uh, well, so maybe 30, 45 to, seconds to... I have to, to give you the argument at the end. Yep, yep. Give it to me quick. Oh, dang. All right, here we go. This is, so this is, the, this is the Christian argument in the moment of death. Law, you want to ascend into the realm of conscience and rule there. You want to denounce its sin and take away the joy of my heart, which I have through faith in Christ. You want to plunge me into despair in order that I may perish. You are exceeding your jurisdiction. Stay within your limits and exercise your dominion over the flesh. You shall not touch my conscience, for I am baptized, and through the gospel I have been called to a fellowship of righteousness and eternal life to the kingdom of Christ in which my conscience is at peace. And Luther goes on, and it is beautiful. That is uh, in Luther's, uh, uh, at the beginning of his uh, Galatians uh, uh, lectures, the argument of St. Paul's epistle to the Galatians. Ah, fantastic. The law rules in the flesh. But it is the gospel, the passive righteousness, the suffering and death of Jesus that rules in the conscience. And it's there. It's when Jesus makes the argument in the conscience, the argument is not our works, but his death, his blood, his suffering. And that is what avails before the Father in life and in death. Pastor uh, Brian Flammy, uh, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, New Mexico. Thanks so much for being on the show. Fantastic stuff. Oh, thank you. And I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Thanks for listening. It's really it's wonderful to to hear the uh, the comfort of the doctrine, the comfort of the truth, the comfort of the blood of Jesus, which will stand. And because of that blood, because the evidence of the blood of Jesus is the evidence admitted into our court case on the last day, we are declared acquitted, innocent, righteous. We are declared to be righteous by God the Judge and welcomed into the reward of eternal life. That's our hope. That's our confidence.
That's what we know to be true because Jesus has preached it, because he has died and he has risen for us. And he stands now interceding in the same court, bringing the evidence of his blood. Thanks for listening to Cross Defense this Monday afternoon. Make sure to join us next week where we, where we consider even more the Lord's word and the comfort of the gospel, the wisdom of the law, all for you so that we might be together in everlasting life. Thanks for listening. Listening to Cross Defense, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314 996 1518, or you can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO.